Welcome to Shift, college admissions, ACT, and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable. We have an affordable ACT course that includes everything you need to ace your ACT exam, a full textbook, tons of questions backed by our memory-enhancing algorithm, and full-length practice exams. You can try it out for free at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off at checkout. Also, if you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss in a future episode, please contact me at tyler at achievable.me with the subject line podcast topic. Now, let's get started. So today on the show, we've got Shane Bybee. Hopefully I pronounced your name correctly. And that is right. Shane, if you could... Awesome. That's good. <laughs> and so uh, I'd love if you could just like ex- tell a little bit about yourself, about your firm um, and your background. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for having me on, Tyler. I appreciate it. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. Uh, my name is Shane Bybee. Uh, I run a, a company called Bybee College Prep because I'm pretty unimaginative. And um, it's a <laughs> college prep, a test prep, a college application help company uh, located in a, in a suburb of Dallas. Uh, we work with around 300 students a year. We, we're just about to expand to our second location. And, and so hopefully in a couple of years, we'll be at, I don't know, five or 600 kids a year, uh, helping them improve their SAT scores and ACT scores, put together their college applications, uh, figure out who they need to apply to, what schools they need to apply to, and that kind of thing. That's what we do. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it's, it makes you a great person to talk about our topic today, which is how to build a college list, right? And this yeah. is something that we talked a bit about uh, with some other guests, but I think that you've got a unique angle on it. And I'm excited to hear it. Well, I, one of the things, so when it comes to building a college list, I have a, a friend of mine who has, she's an IEC. She's a very well-respected IEC. And, and her great comment is- What is an IEC? That's an, an independent educational consultant. So she okay. she helps, it's, it's be like a, a school counselor, but without the school, right? She's someone that parents right. can go to and get, in, get insight from. And so uh, Erica makes a great comment because if you don't realize it, college is expensive these days. And the the number (laughs) one thing, you know, we get questions all the time from parents about, uh, well, how do we get scholarships? And what parents don't understand going in is that over 90% of scholarship money is going to come from the institution itself. 90, over 90% of money that's given out is from institutions. So the key to getting a, to, to, you know, finding the right to building a college list, I guess, and to making to making college affordable is building the right list is finding colleges where academically you're going to be competitive. And so uh, anytime we're meeting with a student and we're talking with a student about their list, invariably students come in and most students, when they walk in our office the first time, they know uh, the, the schools that their parents went to. And they know the schools that were in their March Madness bracket last year. And that's kind of the list that they have that they're working off of. Like, Really? They don't know, like, just kind of the big name top schools, right? Like the that, Harvards that's, and that's, that's the one. No, the that's the ones they know. Like, granted, Harvard and Stanford aren't in, aren't in the, the Final Four or aren't in the uh, March Madness very often. But no, they know those. They would love to be, but yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> most kids are also realistic. I mean, you'll have that kid that comes in with a – and I've had the kid that came in with an 87 GPA and a 1080 SAT and told me he wanted to go to Duke. And so we started talking about, we're going to manage that expectation a little bit because Duke is most likely not going to happen. The thing we know is that the number one factor in college admissions, in fact, if you look at the most recent data from uh, the National Association of College Admissions Counselors, 2019 was the last time that they released a state of college admissions. But even then, the top three factors for college admissions were grades, grades, and grades. Those are the top three. 
And so when a student has an 87 and when Duke gets that application for the student with an 87 GPA, unless that kid's coming out of, of, unless there's, unless that kid's family's name is on a building on campus, they're probably not looking much more at that, that application. Right. I, and sorry, I, um, at least sort of, I don't know if maybe like this, the scoring system has changed, but I don't know what an 87 means. Like, how does that translate to like an A is a 4.0 and <laughs> yeah, an you know what else? A 3.0? You're not the only one that doesn't know what an 87 means. Cause you know who else doesn't know what an 87 really means? The admissions officer who's having to look at that. Uh, an 87 <laughs> is going to be, it's, it's a B plus GPA. We live in a world where over 50% of students report having an A GPA. So if you're applying wow. to Duke with an 87, with a, you know, a three, that's about a 3.3 ish kind of GPA. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're applying with that kind of GPA, you're not going to get looked at, but that right. student might be a fantastic student at another school where he could go make a 4.0 and, um, and do, uh, incredibly well, get some research opportunities to get some good internships and then apply to. Uh, a, a really selective school for a, a graduate school degree of some kind. So that can happen. Right. That's the thing we talk about with students about making your college list. But when you make your college list, find schools where academically, you know, walking in, you're in the top half of the students that are in there. Because if, if that's the case, if, if you're not, that's, that's our strategy overall. It's pretty broad. I mean, when you start actually applying it, who, we we have we have clients that that legitimately need to be applying to Harvard and to Stanford and to Yale and but who thinks they're going to be in the top half of the students at Harvard walking in you know no one really does they understand that when you're looking at a school like of that caliber then you are definitely the competitive nature of it it's just there's no way to know and uh, you know one of my former clients is on my, I have a podcast as well called Let's Talk College and, and I interviewed Ariel. He is getting his PhD in computer science at MIT right now. Oh, but, wow. Uh, That's uh, pretty, pretty yeah. good. Ariel, um, he, he went to University of Texas and was in the honors department at their, their comp sci department. But here's Ariel who's done, he did Calc BC as a, as a senior in high school, did every math that the high school had to offer, crushed it, right? Takes his first math test and made I forget what he said. I want to say it's like a 37 or something. And when Ariel and I were talking, I was like, okay, was it a 37? And the class average was a 42. So you didn't feel too bad. And he was like, no, baby, it was a 37. And the class average is like a 65. And so he was, I was, I was looking around like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. Uh, And so here's this kid who just mean, you know, 800 on the math section of the SAT crushed the, when the, back when the SAT had subject tests, crushed that math subject test. Um, was, you know, graduated, he did, he did eventually graduate from UT, uh, comp sci honors, but his first freshman class, he's got imposter syndrome. Did I make the right choice? And so with everything to consider imposter syndrome being real, the cost of colleges now, it's very critical that, that we, that students and parents do research early on to make sure that you're, if you get into that school, you're going to be able to be competitive academically because that's the end goal. Be competitive academically, and that's going to lead to a good uh, research opportunity uh, in, into internships, things like that, that you'll get a chance to do that you would not, that you probably would have not gotten otherwise. It's also going to lead to merit money. Uh, you know, there's a lot of schools out there, Auburn, Alabama, um, University of Oklahoma, that offer fantastic 
automatic merit aids. Now, Auburn is not truly automatic, but it, it effectively is. But, you know, OU, uh, Oklahoma State, Alabama, they're all offering um, automatic merit aid. The University of Oklahoma, if you have a 3.5 GPA, and I think it's a 1390 SAT, you're going to get the same automatic merit aid that a national merit semifinalist gets. $15,000 a year for four years, renewable for four years. So it's a $60,000 scholarship. So a kid coming out of Texas, you know, in Texas, we have this top 10% rule where if you're in the top 10% of your class, you're guaranteed admissions to a public university in Texas, except for the University of Texas, where it's top 6%. You're guaranteed admissions, but you're not guaranteed the major that you want. Well, if you if you don't get into the business school at UT, but then you have a a, a 1420 SAT score and you can get into the business school at OU, you can also go to OU for what it would cost you to go to UT and get the degree that you want. Right. So, so when we talk about building, when we talk about building a college list, that's what we're talking about with parents is about trying to build a list where when you are applying, when you get that financial statement from the university, it's going to be, uh, you're going to get really good merit aid offers. You're going to get offers that that school really wants you there. Uh, and they're going to incentivize you being there. Um, because by, by incentivizing you, they, they know that you're going to matriculate, that you're not going to demand the same kind of support resources. You're likely to graduate on time, those types mm -hmm. of things. Um, so do some research ahead of time. Yeah. And so to, I think there's a couple of things in there uh, that I want to talk about, and and they're kind of one is going a little bit backwards. But the first topic that I thought was really interesting was how you said essentially you want to be able to succeed at the college you're going to, and I think that is so interesting because it runs counter to so much of the advice that I got as a kid. Like I basically got the advice like try to get into the hardest place that you can get into and show up and do the work and then you'll eventually rise to their level. So I'm curious, like how you would deal with a parent giving that advice or just like whether, you know, are these just kind of different, different strategies or, or how would you approach? Well, that? I mean, let me ask, where did you go? Well, so I, I went to Carnegie Mellon. Okay. Well, that's a pretty, um, that's a pretty good school. Yeah. Um, I'm going to suggest, I don't know what you majored in. I'm going to suggest probably a tech field. And Carnegie, I Mellon's, actually did business. Did you do business? Was a mistake. All my <laughs> all my computer science major friends have nice houses in the Bay Area. Well, here's the deal, though, man. <laughs> Carnegie Mellon's comp sci. The last this this this, this data is about two years old, but Carnegie Mellon's comp sci admissions was two percent. Yeah, I mean it's it's insanely hard for yeah. undergrad in particular. Yeah. And their 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 admissions overall is fourteen percent. So here's what I would say: if if you have the credentials to get into a Carnegie Mellon, to get into a Harvard, a Stanford, whatever, right, an MIT, and you get accepted to those schools, you're gonna be fine. So yeah, if you have the credentials to get in there, but if we're talking about a University of Texas, um, digging into some data that's not super forward facing. Uh, something like about 60% of the University of Texas's classes um, are have, have, have 40 or more students in them. So if you're just an average student, if you get into the University of Texas with your 1350 something, because that's about the average SAT score, you get in with a 1300, right? And you're kind of the average student at the University of Texas. You're going to get the University of Texas diploma, and that's going to have some cash. 
right? You're going to have some, some white weight to it, but are you going to get a chance to go do research back to Ariel? The reason Ariel is at MIT now over, um, other places is when he was an undergrad, he was doing research into artificial intelligence and developing an algorithm that could decrypt files that were supposed to be encrypted. And he was able to put that together uh, for his PhD program, his PhD pitch to MIT. And MIT's like, absolutely, we want you here. So when you're looking at those opportunities, um, I got another one of my other former students, also on the podcast, Chris talked about he, his choices were UTD, University of Texas, Dallas on a full ride or UT Austin. And he chose UTD, one, because it was a full ride, but two, because he could be a presidential scholar at UTD. And because he got that, he was able to connect with his professors. And when he got ready to look for a job at graduation, he had built a really good relationship with one professor who had contacts at Amazon, who then knew about this one new project that Amazon was going after and got Chris into the interview. And Chris Scott was his first job out of college. University of Texas, Dallas. It's not what you hear people do. So back to that strategy. Well, I think that, I think that's, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, back to that strategy of, of, you know, do you just try to go for the absolute best school you could get into? Sure. And the kids, when you talk about a kid who can get into a Carnegie Mellon, can get into that, that's absolutely it. Then maybe, okay. Cause that kid's academically going to be super prepared, ready to go and be, and be competitive there. Um, you're not going to find, I mean, there's a reason that Harvard and Stanford matriculate 90 something percent of their students in four years, right? None of their candidates that are getting in are, are, are they're getting the kind of support they need. But we're also talking about, I'm, there's 1.7 million students apply to college every year, right? Or about 2 million students apply to college every year. About 60,000 apply to, or get into the top 20 schools. So you're talking mm -hmm. about what percentage of that, right? We're talking about 3% of students. My strategy is right. for that other 97% of students that are out there. Right. Well, and I think what I, what I like about um, your strategy, and I think it's just an important thing to keep as context for the listeners is that college is not the end. Like, I think that a lot of people kind of like they, like, especially, especially the kids. So if you're, you know, in high school listening to this, like, it, I, I get it. It feels like getting to college is like the end of like your quote unquote school career. And then you have college and then I don't know, I guess you get a job. Right. And that's kind of like that. That's how I thought about it. Right. Mm -hmm. I was like, I didn't really like I actually wasn't worried about my grades in college because I was like, whatever, I'll figure it out. And I mean, that ended up being a mistake. Right. Like, I think <laughs> that I think that there is sort of to, to put it, college in the perspective of the longer life path you know, getting good, good, really good, particularly, I think like, you know, a 4.0 or above grades in college will actually help you stand out to a recruiter a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause at the end of the day, there's lots of really good people that I've met who have been very successful in the working world who went to like San Jose state, which is a great school and like just schools that are not Harvard, Stanford, whatever. Right. And and I think that people recognize that, but it, it, the, the signal that they're looking for is that you get A plus grades because that means that you have attention to detail and that you work hard. Well, that's your trophy. 
right? You're getting yeah. that your trophy for uh, the grades and the hard work you put in is is that admissions too. So you get to walk around your senior year with your Harvard acceptance and that, or your Carnegie Mellon acceptance or whatever, and that's your trophy. And that 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 looks at college as a destination. College is not or college is a final destination. You know, we right. were one of the, we've got a student we're working with right now who was talking to one of our coaches the other day and was saying, if I don't get into Harvard, if I don't get into to, to Columbia, I just don't know what I'll do. And we were explaining to her, you've got 60 years left, right? You've got a lot of time left to figure that yeah. part of it out. And our operation kind of, kind of freaks me out. Like yeah. I, I wonder sometimes like, what am I going to do? But I'm like 35. <laughs> I'm like, I've still got basically half of my career left. Yep. So it, yeah. it, it's, it, it is. And that's the thing in building your college list. You know, one of the very first blog, when I started this business eight years ago, one of the very first blog posts I wrote was um, your test score is not a golden ticket. I had mm-hmm. client after client convinced that if I could just get that 1550, if I could just get that, then every college is going to come looking for me. And the, the back to what I said earlier, the number, the top three criteria pre-pandemic for college admissions were grades, grades, and grades. And so, you know, that's, that really is the factor. Get the grades in, get the test score in. But then when you start looking at the colleges, uh, find the college that's right for you. We've got one client we're working with right now. She just texted me today. She got her first acceptance in. Um, she really wants to go to SMU, uh, but she, her grades aren't, aren't there for SMU, for undergrad. So we, we've been researching what is SMU's transfer policy because, because she's 17. And you know one of the things 17-year-olds mm-hmm. do a lot? They screw up. They screw up a lot, especially when they're going through high school. And so mm-hmm. how do you find that place where you can go be, you know, get, get the degree? And then if your goal is an SMU, but you didn't get it done in high school, well, what's your strategy then? And build your college list that way. And th- there's so many, you know, one of the things about it today, I'm a tad bit older than 35. So when I was going, when I was getting ready to go to high school or go to college out of high school, you know, that was back when we had to fill out our applications by hand. You actually had, you wrote by in, in, in ink, like a savage. You had to write out the entire essay. It was that, terrible. That, that sounds like my hand is cramping just thinking about it. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, you only applied to two or three schools, but and most parents are, are still in that kind of, that, that was their experience. Most of the parents we talk with these days. So really it's very different now that, um, that they're, they're going to be able to apply by copying and pasting. But the other thing is they're going to, you can do research. One of the best websites, put, you put the, this link in your, uh, in your description. It's called College Navigator. I okay. love this site. Uh, and you just type in College Navigator to whatever search engine you use. And, and the reason I love College Navigator is it is the um, iPads data that, the, that um, schools have to submit to, uh, to, the, to the Department of Education. Mm-hmm. There's another one that the Department of Education has kind of been promoting. And I honestly forget the name of it because it's not as good, but college navigator will let you really dive into if, if the biggest thing for parents is look at the admissions information. You can see what the school's acceptance rate. So here's Stanford claiming they're no longer going to publish their admissions rate, except Stanford has to give their admissions rate into the iPads data if they want to get federal loans. So back to a little bit, iPads is any school that wants to receive federal student loans, which is all of mm-hmm. them. 
has to right. report their, their iPads data. And so um, College Navigator is one of the places that the Department of Education does it. It's updated, I want to say maybe twice a year. It's not updated super frequently, but that's frequently enough for most of what we need to do. And by looking at that, you can find out what is the middle 50% of um, uh, SAT and ACT scores that were accepted. You're mm -hmm. not going to see GPA. That's the tricky part about GPA is I've talked about GPA being like the top three things, but the other tricky part about it is, you know, we were talking about, it wasn't 87 where I'm, our, our center, uh, where, where we're located, there's about three school districts that really feed into us. And between those three school districts, they have five different grading scales. Uh, and there's one wow. school district that's changed their grading scale twice uh, just in the last couple of years. So imagine. So how do you grade that? Well, and then imagine being an admissions officer, right? And right, you're getting right. in this information. You don't know because, okay, yeah, these districts neighbor each other, but you don't know what that is. So looking at the grading scale and so the GPA isn't going to be great to do this. But you can go in and you can look at just the test scores alone as a proxy for that. And you can get an idea of what the range of test scores are going to be. Uh, and, and you can see, does your test score line up with about the average test score uh, for those particular categories or not? And if it doesn't, you know, then you have to have some decisions you want to make. How, you know, what are you going to have to do? But at least you go in knowing, right? At least you go in knowing, hey, you know, my test scores, I, I've got, I'm going to have to work my butt off to, to get ahead of, to catch up with people now. Um, so, yeah. So when you're so essentially like to get a little more tactical for for a minute here, it it sounds like your first recommendation really is to if you've got schools in mind already or even if you don't just to use College Navigator or other sites to figure out what's kind of in your zip code. Right. Like, yeah. what's what's realistic for you from a GPA point of view and a test score point of view. Mm -hmm. And then. After that point, do you have any kind of, I guess, like advice regarding list construction specifically? Like, do you a certain amount of, you know, reaches and a certain amount of safety schools or like anything like that? Yeah, I like to look at I like to look at the schools as, um, uh, you know, likely uh, target and reach of the three categories I like to use. I don't like to use the word okay. safety because safety tends to sound like you're settling. People start thinking you're settling. And um, there's there's four thousand universities in the country. You know, you can find right. a school you'd love to go to that you're very. So we think about them as likely target and reach, and then even wild cards because you can have everything that Harvard wants, and Harvard's going to accept four percent of its applicants. That's it. And so right. for every one kid they accept, there are twenty four kids. Harvard could throw applications in the air until the right number landed face up and take that group at some point and just, just accept them. So the, um, yeah. So when you start digging through that beyond just, okay, now, now it matches up and, you, and start saying, okay, then which schools are, are going to be reaches, which schools are going to be likely, which schools are going to be mm -hmm. targets, uh, kind of, and you know, on average, I was looking at common app data, uh, for something the other couple of weeks ago and common app last year, on average, students applied to five point, I think it's 5.6 schools off of okay. the common app common app platform so um if you think about that if you just throw in a couple more schools that weren't on that platform then you know six seven schools on average is what most students are applying to so one or two uh, reaches three or four likelies and then one or two safeties or one or two excuse me one or two uh uh 
likelies and then three or four uh, targets. Let me try that one more time. See if I can get it right. One or two <laughs> reaches, three or four targets, and then one or two, one or two likelies. And the likelies, you know, like I said, the likelies need to still be places that if you get in there, you're going to love going there. It's going to be a place you really want to go. Um, and then one other detail, if you really want to dive into what a school is like and the profile of a school, there's three magic words. It's the common data set. And I've talked about this on other podcasts for the people, but common data set, it's voluntary. So not every school has it, but if a school does have their common data set, if you search the name of the school and those three words, you will find a, just an amazing amount of up-to-date data about what the last incoming freshman class for that school look like. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that, that, sound, that sounds like great advice. And I think in general, just people get, when they're building a college list, I think that they, they maybe get a little, I don't know, wistful. If, is that the right word, right? <laughs> but like, like and, and so I guess, how do you recommend that people balance kind of their dreams because you don't want to like shut. And if you're a parent in particular, you don't want to shut down your kid's dreams. But like you talked about managing expectations of like the kid who wants to go to Duke, right? Like if it, how do you kind of handle that with the students? I, I let reality take care of it. I, we, we, we meet with a student. We have a big TV in our consultation room and I just look at him and say, Hey, let's look at the data of what, of, of the students that were accepted to this school last year. And so, uh, you know, we've talked with a kid the other day and I hate this. I, I, the test part, test prep part of what I do, I love doing it cause I see what it does for kids, but a student came in with a 1500, but because he's a, where his splits are between the reading and writing and math. And because of where he wants to go, he's legitimately 20 to 30 points away from even having his application read. Um, and it doesn't, his, his, you know, to be, I don't want to be, you know, offensive to your, I know you're in California. But because his last name, you know, is similar to Patel, there's a different expectation for his, his test score because he's coming out of a very affluent suburb where he's, he, they're, they're going to expect a higher score for that profile. And admissions officers will tell people all day long, oh, we're holistic scoring, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, cool. It's just not going to, it's not the reality that we see. Um, so I, I, mm -hmm. I, just, I just let the kids see reality. I, I say, hey, look, here's, here's, your, here's where your scores are. Here's where we know students tend to move scores. And so if you want that school, here's where your score needs to be, but your GPA still probably isn't going to get you there, you know, and the right. GPA, if the GPA doesn't match up, we start adjusting from there. Um, I, one of my other friends who's also an IEC. She says her, her business card needs to have crusher of dreams put on it because um, it, it's hard. It's a hard conversation. You know, one of the other things I tell parents that they need in their research, they need to look at early on is the cost. And you need to figure out whether or not you're going to be able to afford that school, because if, if that school is going to be even iffy because of cost, that conversation has got to happen early because you think it's hard to tell them no uh, right now when they're just in the early process. Try telling a student no and, and figuring out a way because they're going to take on $30,000 in debt. And that's another that's a completely different conversation to have. But. It, all that data is there. Again, back to College Navigator, all that information is in College Navigator. You can find out. College Navigator has a drop-down box where you can look at the average net price broken out by incomes, by qu income quintiles. And so you can find out that if, if you're in the bottom quintile at Harvard, you're going to pay $3,000 a year. 
If you're in the top quintile at Harvard, it's like forty-five or fifty thousand dollars a year on average, and that's the average net price. Uh, I had a client in my office one day whose whose daughter was at SMU, and we looked at that, and they saw that what the average net price was, and they knew what they had paid at SMU that year. And he made a note that he was going to have a conversation with the registrar's office to see uh, why they were paying so much significantly more than uh, <laughs> than what than everybody else. Was. Yeah. yeah. There's another great website for that too. We can talk about later. That's called a friend of mine runs called t- Tuition Fit. Uh, that does a lot of comparisons to stuff too. But that's a different conversation. Yeah, though I do think it, it has to be part of building your college list too. It, so it does. yeah, excited to excited to explore that one with you on another episode as well. Um, well, great. Uh, anything else that you want to cover on this topic before we wrap and up? I, I guess wrapping up just. Sit down with a website and look at the the list of schools a student wants to go go to. Uh, you've you said it already. Make certain the, the the college is one destination on a path to bigger things, and keep that in mind. College is not the arrival point, uh, and that was hard for me. You know, like I said I'm a bit older, so thirty something years ago, when I graduated from college, that was always kind of the expectation. And I graduated from college, and I was like, "What now? What what do I do now?" Kind of the same thing for students. I did, I did hear a really good comment uh, not too long ago that, you know, when I was getting ready for college, college was seen as a transition point, right? But now college was seen as the first thing you did in adulthood. So much now today, it's seen as the last thing you do in childhood. And really, I think we're better off to look at it in the first pass. But it's, it's your pathway onto the rest of what you're going to do, not the last thing you're going to do as a child. Right. And I think that that's it it gives you the opportunity to like put more emphasis on what you do in college, right? Like uh, when you when you look at it that way, right? Like mm-hmm. going to UT Dallas and being presidential honors versus, you know, going to UT Austin and maybe just kind of being regular honors. Like I think that you can you can show out what you are going to bring to a job mm-hmm. through your performance in college. And you never yeah. know what it's going to be. I- a lot of colleges have different pathways too uh, into getting in. So University of Texas has a thing called their CAP program. Um, Texas A&M has a thing called their blend team that they work with a community college. And I had a kid, she's at Cisco now, but when she went to A&M, she got blend team and she felt like it was an insult at first. And then she realized no one knows, no one cares that you didn't go there. And so it's the path is, like I said, she's at Cisco now. She's doing great stuff and and did not expect like when she didn't get into blend team with all of her friends or didn't get into AM with all of her friends was worried what that was going to look like. And I think that is a part of it that, that people sometimes they want it to look really good because you did all this work. But the reality is find a place where strategically, you know, you're going to be one of the top students there. That's I just emphasize that all the time to kids. Great. Thank you very much. This has been Shift, a college admissions podcast for a changing world, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Shane from Bybee College Prep. You can try Achievable's ACT course for free at achievable.me. And if you like it, use the code podcast to get 10% off.